residential architect Andrew Mann sits down with us today in the studio. He's a Bay Area architect since 1989. Originally from New England, he graduated magna cum laude from Connecticut College and received his Master of Architecture from Princeton University. We're so proud to sit down with him today in our studio. Andrew, thanks again for coming. My pleasure, Jeff. It's a pleasure for me and for our listeners. But I did a little research, as I always like to do for all the awesome people that come in. Excellent. Yes. Um, Let's see. And and I read that your firm believes in developing volumes and spatial sequences. Yes. And it it also goes on to say uh, those are the important aspects of architecture that transcend the parameters of traditional or modern. So that's yes. a lot of things to unpack, but that's brilliantly stated. And I think the, the part that I'm so interested in is the developing of volume and spatial sequences. Sure. So uh, I think that we tend to think of our work abstractly. Um, that, I mean, obviously the first thing is solving a client's pragmatic needs, making sure the kitchen's in the right place and, you know, those things kind of work. But it is really about the articulation of space, and it is about the um, the use of natural light to enliven those spaces that really feels what's important about what makes architecture. And for us, it's sort of the style portion is the thing that falls into place in some ways after that. That is very much often client-driven in terms of their taste, in terms of are we responding to an existing house, um, are we transforming an existing house into something else? Um, but it's it's about um, the space itself that's important, and really like like how, when you when you walk into a space, how uh, what's that quality of light as you come into a space? What is that mm. quality of light that drives you from one end of a room to another? What is the balance mm. of light in a room? What is the balance between uh, low ceiling spaces and tall spaces. Um, what is the axial connection through spaces from one end of the house to the other or driving you toward that view to the yard or to the view beyond the landscape beyond? Those are the things that mm-hmm. are really key to us. And the relationship between those spaces, you also talk about uh, moving through rooms. Um, are there surprising ways that you can, can direct the traffic um i don't know if surprising is the right word Uh it is more about making it feel like the inevitable solution meaning that oh this is the way this house is supposed to be like Mm -hmm. that it just feels like you just know how to get from one side to the other because all the clues are there in terms of what you can see in your path or how you're going from a darker space into a lighter space mm. or something like that. That's really interesting. I don't know that anybody's ever talked to me about like the use of light in such a, uh, in, in this way, uh-huh. um, you know, compression, right? Like that's, uh, I mean, it, you know, that in some ways that sort of compression and expansion is very much kind of a Frank Lloyd Wright thing yeah. where he made, you know, his entryways were like super short. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you came into a larger space that mm-hmm. sort of expanded beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that 
you know, for me, it's, it's, in terms of light, it's like, you know, light is, allow, is the thing that allows us to see our spaces and um, that, that it is the, the you know, what, what, is, what is illuminated by a skylight? What is illuminated mm-hmm. by a window up high? What is illuminated from a window on the side? How does that light a plane of a wall? Um, how do those things then help you kind of create um, gracious, inspiring spaces? Is, is, do you ever consider that the skylight kind of spotlights a space or, you know, maybe not the couch, but maybe the seating arrangement or the space right in front of a, um, in front of a fireplace? I mean, as a spotlight? Sometimes it's, yes. Yeah, sometimes like things like a fireplace. Uh, sometimes I use it, I use it a lot in circulation spaces. So uh, mm-hmm. we just finished a house down on the peninsula where the existing circulation pattern was very circuitous in how it ran through rooms. And we created a new sort of spine that went, instead of it being circuitous, it went directly through the rooms, more, more like a skewer on shish kebab. Mm-hmm. And at each end of that spine, we had a... Uh, a sort of rectangular skylight that acted as that wayfinding device. Yeah. It acted as that thing that also pulled you from, from one room to the other. Um, and um, being kind of a larger house, it brought light into the middle of mm-hmm. the rooms. Do I you... try to avoid it in like living spaces because it can create glare and certainly mm. the way that people use their... Um, devices and screens that I always have to be really careful about. I don't want somebody to, you know, have a television that gets glare on it or you're sitting there with your iPad and you can't really see what's on it. So you have to be really careful about it. Love to use it over in bathrooms, over Mm -hmm. sinks, Uh, love putting it over showers. Um, Sometimes we'll do it over a kitchen island. Mm -hmm. So... And do you ever think about the light and, or actually the darkness creating the compression? So perhaps it's not the you know, false uh, dropped ceilings, but it's actually the darkness that creates th- the compression and release? Or... Uh, sometimes um, that, um, I think that my, my, my work tends to be pretty light and airy and, uh-huh. and uh, not often so sort of dark. So yeah. I think, it, you know, some of that's my own sense about my own, you know, sense about light mm-hmm. or, you know, because I've had some clients who are very much like their sense of light is they're very comfortable in dark spaces. Uh-huh. And I think everybody is a little bit sensitive due to our own eyes about uh, yeah. what is comfortable for them. Do you ever design a house for the nighttime versus the you know, the, well, yeah, cause, the you know, like it's, I work really closely with my lighting designer to, um, to see what is that quality of light during, during the evening. And sometimes you make it very different, you know, in a, in a big space during the day, you might want it glowing and airy, but at night you want that light to come down intimately on the coffee table and the seating group and kind of create that, you know, sort of light that you would find from candlelight or incandescent. Um, mm. Sometimes it is um, uplighting ceilings that you only see at night 
and you don't really see during the day because the light's you know coming in from the windows or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to keep on this on this compression talk, but I just was thinking: um, Have you ever collaborated with a designer? And, you know, perhaps it's just like manic wallpaper and something that just kind of really, really energized. And then it releases into a much more peaceful living space. And that's yes. kind of an interesting interplay. Yes. I recently did on, on this same project that I was talking about on the peninsula. Um, I was collaborating with Jennifer Jones and we had this large entry hall that was the, the kind of the formal entry space. It's mm-hmm. on the north side of the house. And um, Jen and the client decided to make this this really sort of accentuate that this really dark, um, uh, high lacquer saturated paint space, so that there's this big contrast between that and then the big room that it goes into, mm-hmm. it which was, ended up feeling more light and bright, like you like, or uh, I'm sorry, say that again. It, it, the the room that you moved on into was it more light? And bright, like yes, you like? it was. Yeah. Cool. Um, so you're from New England? I am. And what are some of your favorite and least favorite things about the East Coast versus, um, well, from both an architectural um, viewpoint and maybe even a style viewpoint? Um, I think that... I mean, the things that I bring with me from the East Coast in terms of architecture are um, kind of the simplicity of forms. You know, when you think of a Shaker-style house or a colonial salt box, um, they're just super simple forms. And, um, and, and I think that that... Uh, and, and some of the traditional quality of shapes of windows and stuff really carries into my work here. I think there's a spareness of my work that is influenced by my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that from a kind of an architectural point of view, um, the, the thing that California has that the East Coast doesn't have is that incredibly fabulous, strong connection to the outdoors and that desire to really open up spaces and really make them connect. Mm. And uh, what was your house like growing up? Uh, 1920s, um, suburban colonial. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it, it had, you know, the traditional um, corner cabinets in the dining room. My parents had a, um, a pewter Williamsburg chandelier over the dining room table. But then the furniture was mostly Danish modern. Mm. Um, I spent lots of time when I was a little kid with my parents in the original design research store in, um, uh, in Cambridge, which was this fabulous glass box. Uh-huh. Um, and um, my uh, uncle was a painter, so the house was filled also with his artwork. Uh-huh. Cool. Um, and his work was representational, but pretty abstract, pretty much. It was about color and really tight compositions and um, it was figurative and still lifes and some landscapes mm-hmm. uh, and so that was kind of throughout the house and then there were also pieces like um, a uh, portrait from the 1800s that was from a 
farm in southern New Hampshire that my father's family purchased as a vacation house in the 1920s. So it was this great kind of mix of styles and things. So suburban colonial, like what year would that house be built? Is that the 60s or 50s? No, I think it was like that. I think it was built in the 20s. Uh-huh. Okay. And then have you thought um, anything about, well, there's devastating fires uh-huh. and Sonoma, you know, rebuilt Sonoma, rebuilt Napa. Have you thought any about a great solution for some of these houses that are going to have to be rebuilt? Um, I mean, I've been thinking just about material choices and, mm-hmm. um, you know, California has what's called the Wildlands Urban Interface Zone that um, regulates materials that go into houses in those areas that mm-hmm. are all about materials that um, uh, are difficult to ignite so that mm-hmm. they try and prevent sparks from landing on something and, it, and igniting. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that we as architects have to really think carefully about those materials that we select for any houses that get rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there's an opportunity to build smarter just in terms of um, water use and energy use. Um, and it's just an opportunity for that. Is, are some of those zones also down in the peninsula here in the Bay Area too? Where is it? I assume it's just... It's throughout, yes. Uh, definitely yeah. anything in, on the peninsula like Portola Valley, uh-huh. Woodside, um, those areas come under the same jurisdiction of the Wildlife mm. Urban Inter- Interface Zone. Uh, did you read recently that Bill Gates has, and this company, is, I think it's called Belmont, some sort of company that they bought, uh, 25,000 acres west of Phoenix. And this was just in the news like two days ago, three days ago. Um, they're building a smart city. So Oh, no, I hadn't speed, heard about uh, that. Networks, autonomous vehicles, high-speed digital networks, new manufacturing technologies that are all the things oh, huh. they're going to be playing with. So a new city, and they've got, I guess, a highway, if I remember correctly, Highway 81 is extending to it. Huh. And it's within uh, something like 20 miles west of Phoenix Central. Huh. Something like that. Um and so, what, well, I guess the question of what kind of architecture do you think would work good in a new city that huh. is exploring that? Wow, that's an interesting question. Um, I think that, uh, well, if, if it, you know, Arizona is such an extreme climate mm-hmm. with its... its they're going to have yeah. to have a lot of indoor space with air conditioning. Exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about well, but, you know, there, there are plenty of traditional types of architecture that, you know, in Morocco, for example, that, and, and that didn't have air conditioning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they built their houses in a way to make but, them livable sure. in that climate. And so I think that it would be about how do you, how do you try and do the same thing? How do you, how do you create these spaces that, are allow air movement to go through them um, without That's a great idea. Without it being... I'm going to write Bill. <laughs> yeah, we'll tell we'll Bill. We'll do this. Let's put something together. Okay. Um, that's smart. And, uh, you know, and I think that that's also in the way that, that like spaces in the Middle East have these kind of um, screens and trellises that modulate the sun also mm-hmm. so that you can be outside without being in the glare. I think it's, it's, you know, it kind of goes back to my shtick about quality of light. Right. Um, you know, I think what I read, there's going to be, you know, maybe 8,000 
uh, units for you know dwelling huh. for, for habit, inhabitants, you know, families, schools, everything. It's a city. They're making it from scratch. So I would assume some high rises. You know, people like density in new cities. Um, you know, the hacienda or or the the Moroccan house that yeah. tents, that's going to be done on taller buildings. So. Um, there would have to be new techniques maybe invented. Maybe there already are some invented. You know, there, you know there's just a... just saw something in one of the magazines, the architecture magazines, that... Uh, I can't remember if it's Saudi Arabia or one of the other Middle East countries recently did a kind of model city and hmm. designed by Foster and Partners. And it was... I don't know if it necessarily had the kind of connectivity that a Bill Gates kind of thing would have, but it was about how to live in that kind of climate and how to build smart in that kind of climate. Mm-hmm. Of course, there was like some tongue-in-cheek thing where it's surrounded by parking lots. And so that, you know, even though it is designed as this you know, sort of more um, ecologically friendly thing, you still have to get there. Yeah. So. Uh, have you seen, you know, Stanley Sadowitz has done this a few times where there's some louvers or on the exterior of the building. Yeah. Would that help with like, uh, with, uh, it would very much help because that, that the more, the more that you can keep the heat from getting into a building, the less cooling you have to do in the building itself. Mm-hmm. So keeping it out is totally the key mm-hmm. thing. Um, there's, a, a movement tall called passive house, which is, uh, about designing buildings that um, uh, basically create their own energy. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the amount of energy that they use is the amount of energy that they can create. Mm-hmm. And they're really tight envelopes, meaning that there's, there's lots of insulation. Um, they're really kind of sealed up. Um, they protect from heat intrusion or loss of heat. Uh, and, you know, so I could imagine you could you could take that approach to building out there mm-hmm. and try and come up with something that would achieve that. Uh, Johnny Moss, who is associate principal at my firm, just recently went to a, um, uh, a, uh, a series of workshops about Passive House. So it's something that we actually are just kind of so talking what, about. What are some of the techniques other than solar, maybe wind? You do like you're going to sink some of it into the earth, so it's... I mean, well, it, it, right. Dirt with, or... with some of these really tight houses, um, the, you keep, you're able to keep such a constant temperature inside, mm-hmm. regardless of how hot or how cold it is on the outside, that you just don't really need much to heat it. Mm-hmm. Like, you can get away with practically nothing, mm-hmm. which is kind of amazing to think about. And does it also require... Um, occupants to live with like 67 degrees or something. <laughs> right. Well, I think it, degree, it also, it, you know, it, it requires you, you to live... You know. Yeah. It requires you to live in a way to that, um, you know, here in California, we're so used to just opening the doors and windows and that's what's great about living here. Mm-hmm. And um, it becomes a different feeling house because it's more, you know, there, there probably aren't as much kind of openings to the outside or you, you, if you want to maintain the temperature uh-huh. inside, whether you want to keep it warmer or colder than it is outside, you don't want to open the doors and windows is in the yeah. way that... Did your mom ever say, born in a barn? <laughs> no? Did anybody else? No? I did. My mom. She's like, shut the door. <laughs> um, okay, so you worked for the late William Turnbull Jr. Correct. And 
Can you see his influence in your work and would others see that? Um, I can see the influence in my work because I think that some of those things about light and abstract space and relationship to um, understanding of buildings in the landscape and the climate is very much something I get from Bill. Uh, I think a he was always somebody who um, liked to pare things down to their essence, whether it was a you know something that was informed by a um, farmhouse or a barn, but like not about ornamentation, uh-huh. all about kind of clean lines. Um, and I'd say that that carries through in my work, even though my work is not as stylistically similar to what that firm's work was. Mm-hmm. I saw some interior photos. He had some uh, woodwork or wood paneling in sort of like you know six inch increments. Yeah, kind of horizontal or vertical. And see some of that in yours too. Yeah, there's definitely an affinity affinity for using those. That that kind of vertical board comes directly from mm-hmm. working for Bill. I saw some yeah. of the photos just scrolling through images, like some pretty crazy, uh, even roof lines, and some pretty uh, amazingly interesting. Uh, my shapes. work or his work? His work. Yes, he was. He did some. He did some amazing stuff. It was. It was. You know, his work was um, sort of the forerunner of that California rustic modern that we all sort of take for granted now. It mm-hmm. developed in the 60s in um, Sea Ranch. Yeah. And, you know, Did he do Sea Ranch, some of it? Yes, he was one of the original architects oh, right along on. with... He originally was a... Fir- <clears throat> the firm that he started originally was called MLTW, which was mm. Moore, Linden, Turnbull, Whitaker. Mm. And um, they were one of the two firms that were hired for some of the initial buildings up at the Sea Ranch. Mm-hmm. So, And then his firm continued to do work and still continued... That firm still continues to do work up there. I have an awesome friend of mine who's, who thinks it would be so fun to go work up there and remodel a lot of those... Um, oh yeah, I think that'd be ranch. totally fun. But I, I suggest to him that that would be a. It's just not as practical. Like life doesn't allow for many families to leave the Bay Area and go that far, given traffic, etc. And where do you think would be a? a would you have a, a special spot you think that could be built out and to made into this sort of new version of whatever uh, that used to be? Or um, you know, it's getting to perhaps untouchable for some average, um, you know, families to have us maybe even a Healdsburg house or Napa house. Or where would another neighborhood be? Um, gee, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to answer that. I mean, I don't see any reason why people wouldn't want to go to Sea Ridge. So. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I think that the thing about that place was that it was um, it was just an old, it was 10 miles of sheep ranch. So it was sort of untouched. And, I th- and, and it was transformed into something that related to it, the ruggedness of its landscape. Mm-hmm. So I think that, um, you know, given the, the, the growth in the Bay Area, there are fewer and fewer places like that. Uh, I see in some ways, you know, there, there, there are probably places in um, other places in Mendocino County mm-hmm. that are probably amenable to kind of that type of, you know, sort of oh. utopian visionary kind of development. I was looking on Zillow the other day and 
Irish Beach, I think that's what it's called. Have you ever heard of that? Mm-mm. I think it's north of uh, Sea Ranch. Because Sea Ranch is still in Sonoma County, I think I just figured right. out. Right. Barely, like at the tip of it. Right. And then so I think just a bit further, maybe 30 miles on, they found the Irish Beach. Huh. It's pretty cool. Um, so what about, have you seen anything cool in your travels um, lately that's inspiring you? Uh, I was in Peru this summer. Oh, cool. And that was amazing. And I think that the, the things that were amazing about it were, I mean, first I'm always interested in vernacular architecture. Like Mm -hmm. what, how do people live? What is the, what are the, what are their homes like that respond to their climate and their building materials and you know what a town's look like because it's like you know they're all they're all related to their own location they're all special in that way um and the other things that just totally fascinated me was um the inca era ruins Mm. and um or archaeological sites and the the sculpting that they did of landforms for terracing for agriculture, and it's it's just spectacular. I mean, there there are um, two two of the thi- I mean, besides Machu Picchu, which was just kind of amazing on it, in its mm-hmm. own right. Um, but there were two places that we went. One was a um, salt works that has been in active production pre Inca. And it is these series. It's a there's an underground stream that brings this um, salinated water out, and the people have built these terraces over the centuries on the side of the hillside that they run the water and then it evaporates and they pull out the salt. And oh. it is just it's it's like it's not architectural per se. I mean, it's not architectural per se, but it's so architectural and and fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was a um, uh, a little bit higher up in the Andes, an agricultural zone that were these series of terraces that they think that the Incas used as a way of um, as more like an agricultural testing place where they could see how different things grew in the sun and the shade at higher and lower mm-hmm. elevations. And there are these beautiful abstract landforms that are mm. just super inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and so that's sort of the most recent travel. Um, I have done, not this past summer, but four other summers um, in a row, I did a, um, I've done a sketch class in Rome for a week. And to me, that's always incredibly inspiring. Rome is really my most favorite city. Well, that's cool. So, um, Paper and pencil, and that's the sketching. Some or? watercolor. Yeah. So yeah, mostly ink, pen, and paper. Uh huh. I like the shading tool. I used to use that a lot. You know, with the paper and pencil. Yeah. And, you know, that's cool. Um, how big are those classes? You sit around, sit around Rome in between coffee spots and um, it coffee is, stops. Um, they're probably. It's, it's run through the ICAA, mm. and there are probably 20 people, 30 people maybe at the most. Uh-huh. Um, it's like summer camp with cocktails. Uh-huh. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who um, can beat that? No one. And pasta. Nobody can. Um, so um, uh, what's the, 
What do you think the, your favorite part of the architectural process is? Um, I'd say there are two. You know, one is that initial moment where you're, you're developing a schematic idea and you sort of have that aha moment, like, oh, this is what this house should be. I've mm -hmm. sort of solved all those things that we were talking about earlier. You know, like, like it, it sits on the land well, it solves the client's program well, it creates interesting indoor and outdoor spaces, it has a nice quality of light, it's a really simple little diagram. Mm -hmm. I love that. And then the other thing is I love seeing our houses get built. There's nothing more satisfying than going to a construction site and seeing the craftsmen put something together and you know, kind of getting to the end and um, seeing how thrilled our clients are that we've able to kind of give form to a dream for them and um, just kind of see it take form. So mm -hmm. those are the things I really love. I didn't write this question down, but um, it kind of just beg the question begs. What's the toughest part? Oh, the toughest part is the um, is, is usually just the process of getting through the something approved in a mm -hmm. jurisdiction in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. That's always the toughest because it's often feels like the most stressful, and it's it's always a series of um, problem solving issues that come up in that. Um, I know. Um, do you have like an ultimate goal in, in your work? Like I want it to be looked at like this, or I want to, in the wake of our studio's work over time, I want it to be that. Um, I guess I just feel like I want it to feel, I don't think of my buildings as individual buildings. I think of it as a body of work that we're creating. Mm -hmm. And I just want it to feel that it is a body of work that feels rooted in the Bay Area style. That's yeah. what I want. Um, and, uh, okay, so here's a speed round. You ready? Sure. I don't know if it's that speedy, but... <laughs> <laughs> it can um, be when you edit it. Yeah. <laughs> I've done a lot of research on roof lines, so I'm going to spare you on that. <laughs> um, what's the difference between salt box and... You know, no, it's good. <laughs> I don't even know how to pronounce some of them. The, the East Asian hip and gable roof versus the Makoshi. No, no. <laughs> anyway, what's, your, what's your favorite finished wood? Um, uh, either Douglas fir or oak. And then what, co oak. And what color? Natural. Natural. And then favorite metal? Favorite metal? Um... Currently into unlockered brass. Mm -hmm. And then, and this was my question, uh, <laughs> what favorite roof shape? Mind you, I didn't know anything about roof shapes, which is why I did the research. <laughs> shed roof. What? Oh, shed roof. Yeah. Right on. Um, let me see if I can find that on here. <laughs> uh, let's see. What's the most recent lesson you learned on the job? Uh, that's a good one. Um, well, the most recent lesson is the lesson I learn all the time, and it is a successful project is all about communication. 
and it is being straightforward with clients, contractors, subcontractors, consultants. Um, that's the key of a successful project. Mm -hmm. um, straight to the point. So you said it isn't necessarily straight to the point. It's being honest. Yeah. Uh -huh. Because those sometimes can be different. Like mm -hmm. you can be honest in a way that is, um, uh, you know, easygoing and unthreatening. That's not sort of like your project's going to be X amount of money, and I know you've only budgeted Y. Mm -hmm. And okay, so then what's your favorite color? Orange. Ooh. And then if you designed a chair, what would you call it? Um, I'd call it the Andrew chair. Right. <laughs> Andrew chair. Got it. What would it look like? Uh, it would probably be um, Danish modern inspired. Um, so it would be probably a simple wood frame of some kind. And, um, you know, probably a leather upholstered seat. Very specific. Sounds like you've done this already. What's that? Who's one savant architect who's your role model? Uh, probably Louis Kahn. Hmm. I don't know. I haven't heard of him. Who's he was name? a um, modernist. Uh, he did really sort of simple buildings that were abstract in some ways um, mm. and yet also had sort of classical roots mm. in some ways. Uh, here in the Bay Area? or uh, No, he was more on the East Coast. Uh -huh. um, he taught at Penn for many years um, and um, you know, sort of in that mid-century era. Cool. Um, let's see. Uh, both well, you and I are both on separate teams mm -hmm. for this fundraiser called Break the Cycle. Yes. And we created different pieces. We, our team, um, uh, Andrew McHale, and he's, he runs Design Line Construction. Uh, let's see, we had uh, Levon, and then also um, Cypress helped us do some of our, our upholstery. So we made this rickshaw. It was it great. Was pretty cool. I loved I liked it. it. And, but you made it also. Uh, a beautiful, oh, ours was named Tricycle, or we called it the Shaw, and break the Tricycle. That's kind of what we named it. But tell us about yours. So I collaborated with the designer, Lizette Brookstein, mm -hmm. and we created a floor lamp. Um, it was called Deconstructed Luminosity slash Bike Lamp. Uh -huh. And... Um, we were inspired by the simplicity of the kind of the classic 1960s floor lamp that had like a stone base and this big curved mm -hmm. arm. And um, what we did is we took, basically put the bicycle through a chipper and mm, did you? Sus Bam. suspended it in resin yeah. and then created this black and steel arc that was reminiscent of the... Um, the shape of the tire of the wheel itself, um, and use LEDs to kind of use that as a downlight, but then also illuminated the um, resin blocks from below with LED, and uh, it was really fun. Um, I felt like it was a great balance of 
restraint and glamour and drama. Mm-hmm. And Lizette and I had a really, really fun time. Yeah, it was a real usable piece. It was. And that was something that really felt important to us, that we wanted it to be something that somebody could go to this auction, buy something that was um, giving money to a really worthy cause, and it was something that they could use in their house. Mm-hmm. So It was cool. I liked it. We, a lot yeah, of great pieces there. It was, um, it was a very fun event, and it was, uh, it was fun to have something come together where it wasn't till the very end that we saw it all assembled, oh, right. and I'd say it exceeded our expectations of what we thought this thing was going to be like, and that was really fun. Awesome, man. Yeah. Okay, so my last question is um, one that I ask every guest, and that is, what is your favorite room in your house, and Why? Uh, favorite room in my house is my kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to design it for myself, yes. which was really fun. Um, I live in a, in a craftsman Edwardian, and the kitchen is, I describe it as more modern, so that it really works with the simplicity of the craftsman stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that I love that I get to inhabit a place that I designed. Uh, and I love to cook. I find it really creative, so... It's a really fun room to be in. I really enjoy it. Cool. And is it well lit? It is well lit. Nice. Yes. Um, well, Mr. Man, Andrew, thank you so much for coming. Thanks, Jeff. It That's all pleasure. she wrote for today. Very fun. Yeah. Give us a Thanks a lot. Thank you. It's great. <laughs>